Hi, and welcome to Literary Work in Progress, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Kristen, and I'm the exuberant one. I'm Caitlin, and I'm the bossy one. I'm Dan, and I am the particular one. I'm Cameron, and I'm the creepy one in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so in case you couldn't tell from our introductions, we have just introduced ourselves as our personality type within our writing group, because this week we're talking about writing groups and why they're awesome. So we just want to start off the discussion by asking, what are writing groups good for? Since the whole premise of this podcast is to model good writing group behavior, we kind of thought it would be a good idea to talk about why writing groups are a good idea. And I think there are lots of good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that you can't come up with any of them. <laughs> well, I feel like lots of people have bad experiences with writing groups, that's and true. that's something that we want to talk about in a minute, how we can avoid that. But some of the things that I take from writing group is, one, I feel like it's a really good place when I'm in the middle of a project that takes a really long time to have someone look at my work and tell me that some of it's good. We get good feedback in the middle of that cycle of, this is awesome, and then this is maybe not so awesome, to this is really crappy. <laughs> so when you're in that really crappy zone, right before it gets back to the this is awesome part, you have people who say, it's okay, Caitlin. It really is okay. Just carry on. Hold out. Yeah. And more than just more than just having someone who will tell you that some of this is good, but having people who you know are also good writers and who you trust their opinions, having them tell you that it's worth keeping is like an extra level that you're not quite at least at least I don't get that from like asking like my mom to read it. It's like I love you, mom, but this isn't your thing. <laughs> no. No, yeah, mom, mom stopped being a test writer several years ago. I love you, Bob, but uh, <laughs> no. you guys, all of you guys are being so positive. I was going to say that I think writing groups are really valuable to have good writers that you trust tell you what parts aren't working. Well, that too. Mm -hmm. I think that you need honesty in a writing group because it doesn't matter if people give you empty praise just to make you feel good about yourself. And on the same level, if people give you critiques that are not worth anything, then that Mm -hmm. is also not helpful and also very discouraging. Yeah. Well, because I was just thinking that unless you're like a miracle superhero writer, there's no way you're going to be able to catch like every logical fail or structural issue or other problem with your story and so you need other people to kind of help you figure that out i was gonna say writing is a very self-invested thing you're you're putting you're putting a lot of your heart and soul into writing a book and that means you're gonna develop blind spots for what you're doing so having people who you trust come at you from angles that are not you is going to give you things that you didn't see didn't consider and you know, if they're any good, it's going to save you a lot of time rewriting in the future because you're going to catch stuff earlier than you would have. A few years ago, I read something called the Evil Overlord List. Yes. Yes. <laughs> which is about things you would do if you were an evil evil overlord. And one of them is I will keep a five-year-old advisor who, if he can spot any pl- flaws in my evil plan, I will fix those. Similarly, writing groups. <laughs> can be How are you calling me a five-year-old, Dan? <laughs> You're the exuberant one. <laughs> but there are things that I would never even think of. But when they get pointed out to me, I'm like, "Oh yeah, duh. Obviously, that needs to be fixed." I mean, especially if you have a writing group that is a semi-diverse group of people. Like yes. if you have boys and mm-hmm. girls, and hopefully people from different cultures, <clears throat> biases. Yeah. Yes, Back you have different. 
you have different biases. You have different things that bother you in writing. You have different things, like different vocabulary that means different things. Slang could mean something different. Or if you're really super innocent, maybe something you write <laughs> doesn't come across have, the right way. Have, that's happened has to me. Happened to me. Glad that's in happened this in this group. <laughs> as, as you can tell from the laughter, having someone else catch your accidental innuendos can be really valuable. <laughs> <laughs> It also helps uh, for productivity. So I first started seriously writing when I was 11. I still have my book sitting on a Word document somewhere, and I'm too embarrassed to look at it. But <laughs> it made me accountable, and I have a greater incentive to produce material on a consistent basis. The things that I'm working on for my writing group, I get done a lot faster than the other projects that are on the side. And it can help you closer to getting a book ready if you have people that you're reporting to every week. So yeah, it's, groups aren't necessarily for everyone in this regard, but if you have trouble finding the motivation to write regularly, having a group of friends who are going to, you know, get after you for doing that can be really helpful. I think that setting any good habit is difficult because you have to change your lifestyle a little bit. As soon as you're used to writing consistently, it becomes a habit. And, and if you have a group that you're accountable to, then it continues to be a habit because people are waiting for you. Another thing writing groups help with is eventually... I'm going to want to publish a book, which means I'm going to have to talk to other people and they're going to have to accept my work and they aren't going to accept it the first time around. And there's going to be a lot of rejection. And as Cameron said, writing is very internal and you don't want to have your, your baby get torn up by other people. But um, writing, you will have to develop that muscle eventually and writing groups can help you get towards that. Yes, um, writing however much you want to believe that your first draft is awesome, you have to learn how to revise. And I think that in a safe spot, like a writing group where you're friends with everybody and everybody's being nice on purpose, we're going to talk about that in a second. It's a lot safer than having an agent email you back and be like, I'm sorry, this is not for me. in they're cold, like, I don't care about you sort of way. Or an editor say, I'm sorry, but the whole second half of your book doesn't make sense. Because that's, <laughs> it's a lot easier if you're with a group of friends who can help you. I think it's worth pointing out, though, that your writing group doesn't have to start as friends because none of us knew each other when we started this, and we've become friends over the year and a half that we've been together. So a writing group doesn't necessarily have to be with people that you're super buddy-buddy with. I think the process of working on something you all love together ends up making it so you guys are pretty close by the end. But at the beginning, it's totally okay if you're just sharing work with a bunch of other people who write. That's a great place to start. I actually think that that's one of the benefits of I writing agree. group because I think writers... Uh, depending on how deep you are into the writing quagmire, you need people to talk to about writing. And a lot of times people don't understand <laughs> what you're talking about. Yes. And so you need people who you can talk to without like those other people who don't understand like <laughs> having to deal with it, I guess. Yeah. So it's really nice to have writing friends. Well, and like two of my best friends and I, we, we have been writing since probably fifth grade, but I am never going to give them a draft of my book to look at because... We've been writing together since fifth grade. It's really good to have people that maybe don't know you so well and aren't afraid of telling you the truth or seeing it objectively. I think that's a really, really important thing to have. And, I mean, you know, if you're trying to get published, networking is a big thing yeah. that can really help you do that. And if you happen to be the creepy guy in the corner like me, <laughs> networking does not come naturally. So if you have a writing group of people who are really good, you can kind of, you know, mooch off their coattails a little bit, <laughs> as I am totally not doing right now. <laughs> I think it's good also everybody's making eyes at okay anyway <laughs> anyway I think it's also good if you have like 
other writer friends to go with you to conferences and to make friends there. Like to be a part of the writing community is a really important thing. And sometimes that's really scary. I am a very introverted person. And so the first time I went to like one of the big conference here is Storymakers. I went and I sat by myself and I did not talk to people because it was terrifying. But now that I have gotten out a little bit more and I know more people, I feel like I have my little group and like I'm part of the crowd of of writers and I fit in now. And so it's not as scary. So if you have friends to go with you to those big scary events where there are like famous people and stuff. Okay, where so we? while we've been talking about all good feedback, I guess um talk about problems to avoid. Well, yeah, just I guess what kind of feedback is helpful because there's a difference between feedback that's like gung ho, yeah, this is great and feedback that actually accomplishes something. So something we focus on a lot in this group is not being prescriptive. We got this straight from the Sanderson class that we all took together. That's where we met. We were in Brandon Sanderson's class. So if we talk a lot about him, I'm sorry, or we're not part of his <laughs> his colony of people that he grows somewhere, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, we are. <laughs> we're not one of the minions. However, one of, we're not four of his minions. Anyway, no, we're one creature we now. Are one organism. Anyway, we got this from him. And being prescriptive means we don't try to rewrite the submissions that we get. There's a difference between recognizing a problem and suggesting how it should be fixed. Meaning, because, as we were talking about earlier, the story is a really internal thing, the author is going to know a lot more about what's going on ever than the people who are reading it. And what this means is, especially with people who are more organic in their approach, they are not outlining everything in advance, getting a whole lot of feedback about how other people think their story can go, if you're not used to working with that, then your story can very quickly become your writing group story instead of your own story. So as you get to know each other better, you can, as you feel out each other's strengths and weaknesses as writers, you may be able to get a little more prescriptive. But it's, but when you start, it's, it is enormously, at least I feel, important to point out things you think are problematic. It is not helpful to say, and here is how you should fix it. Now, obviously, there, there's exceptions to every rule, but in general, if you can find people who can point out things they have trouble with and resist the urge to say, and this is how you should fix it, then you've got someone who's really good to go for um, feedback. Yeah, I think the important thing is remembering that you're not writing the story you're critiquing. The writer is writing the story that you're critiquing. As I think we've proven in other episodes, we struggle with this sometimes, but it's something that we're always aware of. And I think that really helps us, I guess, give feedback that actually is worthwhile as far as the craft of writing rather than the story in particular. So like some examples of phrases that we like to use is, these things need a second look, or I think you're going for this in this submission, but what I experienced and felt was this. So it's more of a reader response Mm -hmm. um, sort of setup than like a, you did this, but you should have done that. And if I were you, I would have done that. I actually feel like that is exactly where a lot of writing groups have a hard time. I've been in more than one writing group, and I had one in particular where the other members of the writing group actually talked about how people had either killed their book or they had participated in killing someone else's book. And I feel like as soon as your mindset is there, it stops being helpful. If your purpose is anything other than to give people like your response to this is what I thought about your submission and not this is a stupid submission. As soon as you get to that point, it's not going to be helpful. So um, an example of helpful feedback is for one of the drafts I was working on in this group. I had a character who I intended him to be trustworthy. <laughs> and every single person for the entire book thought he was not trustworthy at all until finally the end. It's like, oh, he didn't do anything bad. I guess he was trustworthy. <laughs> 
they did not give suggestions on how to fix the problem necessarily. Well, they, they explained why it was a problem and what might help, but they didn't tell me what to do. And that's something I'm still working on, how to fix that particular <laughs> issue. But it was very helpful to have it explained, but not to be prescriptive. Well, and I think something to Dan's credit is that he did not try to explain to us why that character was supposed to be trustworthy. He just mm-hmm. listened to us mm-hmm. and said, oh, it's there's a problem here. Yeah, I think it's it's a two-way street. So you, you trust the other people in your group not to be prescriptive, but you <laughs> need to not justify yourself. When someone says, well, I think this is supposed to be serious, but I laughed... The writer's response needs to not be, well, you must have obviously missed this thing that I put in there that would make it not that way. That's not, that's not helpful. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you, as soon as you are, are talking about things and not letting the page speak for itself, you've poisoned your response group. They're not, it's not an accurate reading of what they thought anymore. Mm-hmm. Writing groups should believe in the death of the author. <laughs> Getting into some literary criticism. I actually have a really funny story that okay, I want to tell, tell you guys I like funny about being prescriptive and about not being quiet while you're being critiqued. So without naming names, I went to a conference in the last little bit, and one of my jobs was to be the head of um, like a mini writing group. I gave feedback just like we do here, except that it was there were, I think, five people in the group counting me. I didn't submit anything. I was the writer in residence, whatever that means. Ooh, la, la. Yeah, I'm so cool. <laughs> so everyone submitted to me, and then they all critiqued each other's work, too. And so we were sitting around this table, and when I went in, I said, I have these rules about when I critique work, because I feel like if you're prescriptive, then it's impossible to get good feedback, or all of us will leave this room feeling bad about ourselves. Did you want to say that? Well, it's just a thing that occurred to me. I'm going to sorry. I'm going to sidetrack your sidetrack just for a little bit. I would. So one of the things I did point out was that as Sanderson was explaining to us his non-prescription rules, a thing, a caveat he did throw in there is that because I am who I am, and because say whatever I want, (laughs) and because I am the professor, and because I have you know all the monies, um, (laughs) essentially. I am going to be prescriptive on occasion because, he said, I have oodles and oodles of experience, so I know when it's healthy and when it's not. Mm-hmm. Which I totally agree with that. If you are having your work submitted to a professional, you hope that they're going to be at least a little bit prescriptive if they see something that's wrong. The difference being if you have a bunch of random yahoos who none of them have any publications to their name, maybe maybe not do it. <laughs> <laughs> with this particular group that we did, one of the girls right off the bat, was she said, I can't tell people what they should do. And I was like, no, you can't. You have to give non-prescriptive feedback. I also said, and you're not allowed to talk when other people are critiquing you. And it was like literally impossible. <laughs> this girl, she, we were critiquing her work and everything I said, she said, so you didn't get it even though it says right here, right before this part that you read, you didn't understand what was going on. And I was like, no, I didn't. And she's like, well, because I think everybody else did. And I think oh. I've had this critiqued by lots of people. And I'm like, you know what? You're the one who paid money to have me critique your work. If you don't like my critique, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, this is how we're going to work. If you talk and if you like refuse to be the, the okay part of the writing group, people are going to have a hard time working with you. And if you are incapable of revising your own work, there is no point in being in a writing group. I think something else that being part of a writing group has done for me is, well, I guess two things. First, it's taught me how to eloquently state the problem that I am seeing in a piece of writing so I can name the problem, which has been really useful. Like in my internship with the literary agency, 
just because a lot of times when I'm rejecting manuscripts, I will give a reason for why it is, and it's really, You're a really helpful. Nice person, most people don't do that. The people who have rejected me have given me reasons, oh, and so I nice. feel like I'm going to do the same, just because it's really helpful, and because a couple of them have actually emailed me when I didn't and asked me for some. And yes, so, don't do that. You're not supposed to. It's not professional. But go ahead. Yeah, it's cool. I'm an intern. I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think it's really useful to be able to, I guess, diagnose a problem in a piece of writing. And then second plug for writing groups is that if you're like me, you have lived your entire life not wanting anyone to ever read your writing and putting it where it can be published anonymously or under a different name. And so it's really nice to be able to gain a confidence in your ability to write if you didn't have it before. I think that's a really common problem with writers, mm -hmm. actually. You're afraid either that people won't like what you wrote or that they will judge you based on what yeah. you wrote. I mean, I don't know if you guys have that problem, but I did. I was worried that people would read my first YA book and be like, uh... Are you like still a teenager in there somewhere or would judge like my relationship with my husband based on the, the creepy stuff that happened in the book or like, <laughs> you know, I just I worried a whole lot. And I think that honestly, probably some people read my book and are like, that's interesting insight into Caitlin's psyche. But, you know, having a safe place to have people read your work before you go a little bit more public is probably a good way to get over that fear. I have yeah. stopped caring about what people think about my work. And part of it's because I let other people look at it first who I trust and I'm not as worried about having them judge me. So that's one thing that we try to stick to as a group, which is when we're being critiqued, we're, we're quiet. There are times when I really, really, really want to say something. But again, what Cameron said, but you don't want to poison your writing group. Your tendency might be, well, this actually isn't a problem because three chapters from now, this happens. But the ideal goal for me is to get published and I won't be there. To whisper over the reader's shoulder, hey, this actually will happen later on. Yeah, I think that having an untainted response mm -hmm. is such a valuable thing because, I mean, they're telling you exactly what they're thinking. We do 3,000 word submissions. And so every 3,000 words, I have three other people saying this is it. Yeah, 3,000 words. Roughly. Unquote, <laughs> roughly that far. But I have three people telling me exactly what their responses are. So I know if my villain's whatever it is he's saying is falling completely wrong. I know if my blocking is completely off. And I don't have to be like, actually, next draft, it's going to be awesome. I know I need to go and fix it because of the things that my writing group tells me. And as a writing group, we trust that you're going to fix it and that a second draft will be better. Like, that's, yeah, that's the whole point. Is like <laughs> Your feedback ends when you stop talking. It has nothing yeah. to do with the actual book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so somewhat similar and related to that, another thing that it really helps move writing groups along is to make sure that you are constantly submitting new material instead of constantly submitting rewrites. Mm -hmm. Because again, as soon as a writing group has seen this the chapter before, their reactions are go not going to be honest anymore because... They all, know what's happening. They, they know what's happening. So you're, it, the feedback is just not going to be as useful and you're going to be going in circles. Another one of our rules is starting out with positives. We want to get feedback. We want to know how we can improve, but starting out with the good things really helps me psychologically. Me too. I yeah. really like <laughs> yeah, all the good much. stuff. Everyone <laughs> likes to be praised. I mean, and just not even from just an emotional perspective, but in if you want to get the feel for a scene, it's important to know what's working so that you're not, when you hear bad things, you're not, well, I'm going to have to change this. Well, if someone just told you I love that, then you know that maybe you should figure out a different way to accommodate it all. So we've talked a lot about what a writing group should be, but can we talk a little bit about how to find a writing group? This is actually my only experience with a writing group. I got really lucky, but I, I'm sure there are lots of other ways to go about finding a writing group. Part of it could just be asking people, uh, who do you know? 
When I first started writing, I lived in Montana, like in the most remote place possible in Montana, it seems like. Maybe not. I'm sure that there are more remote places, but <laughs> it seemed really remote. And there, I was actually a stay-at-home mom at the time and had two kids under the age of three, and it's not like I was getting out and meeting people. And so I talked to people online. There are lots of groups on Twitter and on Facebook. Another possible option, there are forums out there for every kind of fan base imaginable. There's bound to be people that write might be a way to say, hey, let's let's read stuff. Yeah, places like Absolute Write, people talk a lot on there. I didn't find people I actually talked to consistently on Absolute Write, but I bet there are people who do. I feel like libraries probably have mm -hmm. writing groups yeah, writing and groups like as well. writing resources, mm -hmm. bookstores, people who do author events. Like the people who go to author events are not like random. Well, unless they're really famous, they might be random fans. But for the most part, it's other writers that go to a lot events. of universities do too. When I was on my study abroad in Mexico, I actually went to a Mexican writing group in nice. Merida with a bunch of people, and it was very different experience than what we do here <laughs> because they were into prescription. But I think most people are, unless they decide specifically not, not to be. be. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, so there are definitely places to find it. We're going to move on to the actual critiquing part, so we can demonstrate our critiquing prowess. <laughs> so, quick review of how we do it, in case you weren't listening to the whole first half of this podcast. We're going to have about two minutes of great things that we loved, and about eight minutes of things that maybe need a second look, or that we didn't understand. So, this submission was about a young girl who can walk on water instead of falling through it at this one particular lake, and we watch her as... She sees her brother figure out how to, I guess, like, fall into the water. It, he gets into a fight with their parents. He runs away because he doesn't want to go to the university. And, and he wants to continue walking on the He lake. wants to become a lake walker and figure out his magic. Things that we liked. I thought that there was some pretty interesting hints of the fantasy world with this, this lake and with this mysterious university and this system of lake walkers that the brothers when Ames is going to run off and join. A world that I'd like to see some more of. Not, it's not an idea I've seen before. People who can only walk on water and can't get wet even if they want to. Well, so. they can get wet. They just can't fall through. Well, they can't. Yes. Is it, is it water in general or is it just... I'll hold on to that question. No, to, That's to a good point. jump off what Cameron said, I feel that so many fantasies have this huge mix of powers. That's this very widespread, very complicated and Sometimes the ideas don't get developed, whereas this is very simple. We walk on water, and if I want to swim in that water, I can't. I am just always on the top. And there is so much potential with that idea. And I'm just thinking, whoa, what sort of cool things can I expect to see from this story? That's a very yeah. simple but powerful concept. The author introduced an interesting philosophical debate right in that first chapter of what is reality versus what is perception. And it seems like it might be a theme that goes throughout the whole book, which I thought was a really cool thing to have introduced right at the beginning. Well, I was a big fan of that just because like the whole point is that perception creates reality. Mm -hmm. And that just made me think of the name of the wind, which as everyone knows, I love. And there are some good blocking moments that show what the character looks like. And they did a good job of trying to intersperse those things instead of having her look down at the water and see her reflection, which I was dreading. It didn't happen. I looked happen. down at the lake. I had red hair. <laughs> the reflection was six feet tall. <laughs> to be clear, that's what not happened. That's what yeah, not did not happen. Yeah, that did not happen. That did not happen. Overall, honestly, this submission had some really clean prose. I think it was just solid writing. On the same subject of world building moments that weren't clumsy, I mean, there are steamboats on this lake. I thought that was 
it's a good setting. I mean, we have this university and we have a character later talk about engineering and I think it's a good setting. <laughs> I liked that it gave us kind of a general idea of what the world was like, though we are going to talk about that a little bit when we get into second look. Which we can get into now, actually, because okay. that feels like a good jumping off point. I think my biggest issue was that I had more questions than I had answers from this particular submission. But not the kind of questions that made me want to keep reading. Yeah, they were not probably the questions that you were aiming for. I was wondering why walking on water was illegal, especially if everyone has grown up thinking that the lake is a solid surface and being taught that. And the submission points out that that's how everyone perceives it. They see it as solid. So why would that be against the law? They do mention that some people can swim in the lake. Yeah, but... But we don't know who's who yeah. or or why or why it's illegal or... Yeah. Or there was a line that hinted that lake walking was legal under special circumstances. And I was wondering what circumstances could possibly need you to walk on water. Or how would you even enforce the law like this? Or if it's against the law, how is it that nobody except for their mom notices Ames and Jade doing this in broad daylight? I just had a lot of questions, I guess, about the cultural taboo of lake walking and why it's there and what it even means and whether or not it affects all surfaces of water or just this lake. I feel like the way it was introduced was a little bit difficult for me to understand. We have the brother and sister, well, the brother goes out on the lake first and he says a bunch of things that I felt like were really confusing. Their whole beginning conversation, they're talking about stuff only being in her head and He's talking about water, and then we see him fall through, but it's before we even have it established that they are lake walkers and they can't fall through. We're like, oh, he can mm. walk on water. That's interesting. But none of that other stuff is said, so when he actually does this magical, amazing thing of being able to go through, it's not a magical, amazing thing to me because I don't know that he can't do that yet. Yeah, we're introduced to the exception before we know the rule. I was bothered by that, and... It's it's one of those things where, by the sounds of it, this is going to be one of the main magical things in the story. And we didn't really have time to even get used to the novelty of, whoa, there's people who can walk on water before it's like, <laughs> to the water he goes. This submission is the first chapter of a story, literally the first introduction of people walking on water, but we don't see, I'm not trying to be prescriptive here, but we don't see him running across the water or pulling his sister and sit and messing with her. We, we start with, uh, by the way, I can sink through water. And for whatever reason, that just didn't, didn't sit well with me. So a thing that I'm a stickler for, especially when I'm reading something that is fantasy-esque, is details that tell me kind of the general state of the world. Mm -hmm. So having read this, is this going to be a steampunk setting? Is this going to be a another medieval European setting? Is this going to be Central American fiction? It's like, uh, we don't know. It could be an airplane flying overhead in the next scene. We just don't know. It's not something that I think you need to necessarily spend a lot of time on, but you can just, I'm getting prescriptive, so I'm going to stop talking. Well, I feel like the <laughs> seeds are there, but I didn't... Yeah, there's lots, there's lots yeah. of good seeds. It's just the details that ground you in a specific technological setting are just not there. There are seeds, but some of them are apples and some of them are pears. I got a little confused because businessmen and engineers mm -hmm. sounds modern. Steamboats sounds maybe less so. And when Ames decides to run away, he gets a little bag of fruit and bread. And that seems like a really classic old timey trout like that. It could have been sliced bread. But I don't, we don't know. know. See, but that detail to me, <laughs> like if you're using that detail deliberately, I automatically assume, okay, this is old. They don't have preservatives. They don't have anything like worth taking on a long trip. They have to make do with what they have. There were lots of great details, but I'm just not seeing how they mesh quite yet. So something else that 
struck me as a little bit interesting or might need a second look is there are some really extreme things that happen in this. We have a brother who runs away. There's this huge fight. We have a sister crying over her brother leaving but not going with him because she wants to go to college. I feel like there are lots and lots of really, really extreme emotions going through here, but I don't understand them because I don't understand the stakes. I don't understand Mm. what's on the line for the brother or for the sister or for the family. And so I had a really hard time being on board or feeling even like I empathized with them because I didn't understand why they were doing the things that they were doing. I will second that. A lot of that is related to the problem that there was a lot of telling in the submission. Some moments that stood out to me is, of all their siblings, Jade and Amos... (laughs) Ames have always been the closest, or she wanted to go with him when he left, or she was surprised that Cyburn would even take the chance, or she could probably sweet-talk her way out of trouble, or Mother was harsh on Amos, but Jade knew Mother just wanted him to succeed. And each one of those is a tell, which could easily be shown. So which, we're not saying that any of those individually is a problem. It's just that there's so many of them. One other problem that we noted is that we are not quite sure how old the main character is. Jade has a lot of things about her that could place her in kind of any age range. Like, she's considering her career options and how she wants one, and that seems a little bit older. But her relationship with her brother makes her seem kind of young. I'm just He offers to carry her at one point, which seems to me to say much smaller. So some concrete details could help clear that up. I agree. Overall, I think that there's a lot of promise. Like, I want to know what these lake walkers are, personally. I would love to know what sort of magic they're up to. This has been Literary Work in Progress. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, Caitlin here. If you're interested in looking at the submission that was featured in today's podcast, you can find it on our website, literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. That's literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. If you're interested in submitting your work for us to look at, you can find our submission guidelines on that same website. And we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and leave us a rating and comment while you're there because it helps other people to discover our podcast. Thanks and see you next week.